Hello, this is Dr. Shiva. Welcome to our podcast, Get Educated or Be Enslaved. Episode 566, air date April 12, 2020. All right, so we have Wing. Wing, what's your last name? Uh, My first name is Michael, last name is Wing. So we have Michael Wing, uh, who's joining me from the Epoch Times, and we're going to have a conversation. You can hear Michael here on the audio, but Michael recently called me. He's writing a piece for the Epoch Times. Um, Michael, when will that come out around? Uh, probably in the next week, uh, probably within a few days, I would imagine. Yeah, so Michael, you contacted me, and, and we can have a conversation here to really understand my interest in how I got into all this. Uh, and more importantly, I thought your questions are really sort of the, the area that I really enjoy, which is systems uh, from a perspective of both East and West. You know, And I li- like to look at it from science and tradition and ancient and modern. So go ahead, Wing. It's your interview. Right. So, one of the things I wanted to ask you about was uh, the traditional approach uh, to uh, medicine that you studied. Um, Now, a lot of people in modern science dismiss the traditional approach to medicine, but you believe it's actually quite advanced. Uh, Now, you've studied traditional Indian medicine uh, from the perspective of engineering, and I'd like to learn a little bit about what you've discovered. Yeah, so to everyone who's joining, we have Michael Wing from the Epoch Times, and Michael really wants to understand from me how I got into all of this and my real interest in both, I think, the Eastern medicine side, which many people typically put down, and um, why is it a guy like me is interested in it, and sort of, I think what you're asking, Michael, is what's the value I really found in it. Um, So I think one of the important things I want to, you know, there's a, a book that I wrote which is part of a trilogy I call Systems Health, uh, Michael. And that was really sort of my 40-year journey across, you know, East and West, science and tradition, ancient and modern, to really identify um, what is going on, right? In terms of there's been these 5,000-year-old systems of health and well-being that people have been using. And and I personally, growing up in India as a child, um, I observed my grandmother, who had no degrees in, you know, she didn't go to medical school, um, but she had an ability uh, because she was a village healer. She didn't charge for it, Michael. It was her sort of her duty. It was her noble service as a woman who was the, <clears throat> you know, the the elder in the village. But she worked in the fields 16, 17 hours, uh, you know, a day um, as a subsistence farmer. So, but she was a village healer. And I saw her empirically heal people. And how did she do that? Well, she had she followed some methodology, right? She'd observe people, uh, their face. Uh, in fact, in traditional systems of medicine, particularly in Siddha, you know, India has true systems of medicine, Michael, and people listening, Siddha, S-I-D-D-H-A, which is practiced in the South, and another system of medicine called Ayurveda, A-Y-U-R-B-E-D-A. Siddha, when you actually study it, is actually much more, it's a much more uh, larger system, which means much more general. It had uh, five branches. One was martial arts. By the way, many of the martial arts throughout the world, even Chinese, Japanese recognized, started in India, in South India in particular. It had another aspect of yoga, which was the body postures, a third aspect, which was meditation, um, a fourth aspect, which was the use of heavy metals, 
And then the fifth aspect was what you would call the use of herbs, okay? Now, Ayurveda typically has one or two of those. And in these systems of medicine, um, the notion was you had a diagnosis approach, and then you have the procedure approach once you diagnose. Not that different in that sense from Western medicine, Michael, but the diagnosis, they use many techniques. They'd look at the eyes, they'd look at the urine, they'd look at the feces, they'd look at the skin, and they would look at the face. Uh, in those systems of medicine, when people looked at the face, um, there was in fact a book written, uh, Michael, called Samudrika Lakshanam. Lakshanam means face and analysis of the face. And this is a very detailed book, ancient treatise, which pointed out all the different parts of the face, the eyes, and how those relate to particular organ systems. So my grandmother, you know, was adept at that, it was much more intuitive. She would figure out what was a particular person's um, dysfunction, and then when she would figure out the right medicine or the right body uh, modality to do, which was massage or the use of oils or uh, foods to bring them back to balance. So I saw her use the system of medicine, uh, Michael, to heal people. So empirically, I don't care what anyone else says, I don't care what um, other people did not observe as a scientist, as a young scientist, as a kid, I saw her empirically heal people. So that led to my journey to want to, frankly, want to be like her, want to understand how she could heal people. This woman had tattoos all over her arms, um, but I had great respect for her. So when I came to the United States, um, I was deeply interested in medicine. It was sort of imprinted on me that I wanted to be a healer and, and a, you know, what we would call a doctor. And that led to my journey. By the time I was 14 years old, I, I had finished calculus um, as I uh, started working full-time as a research fellow in a medical school, full-time wing, uh, doing research on integrating computers to understand why babies were dying in their sleep. And this was in 1978 when computers were very new. So here, now I was not in my grandmother's village. I was in a medical college. You know, very different people have lots of degrees, lots of PhDs, lots of MDs, uh, people 30, 40, 50 years older than me, and I was treated as an equal. People had great respect for the fact, um, I guess, that I was smart and dedicated and wanted to learn. And it was very interesting, in retrospect, I was not treated like some little kid. And so I did research there on medical research, and that's where I created the first email system as another project. So I learned how to, how to build large-scale systems, and then all of that led to my ending up at MIT. And I thought when I came to MIT, Wing, that I really wanted to do medicine, was on a pre-med course, and was really, really... Uh, as more and more I you know, had practical experience with medicine. Uh, by the way, people are asking, who am I talking to? I am talking to Michael Wing of the Epoch Times. He's doing an interview with me. And so Michael just asked me you know, this whole uh, way that I, how I got to this on wanting to integrate medicine. So, so what that led uh, in a fundamental way was that I realized through my journey through in and out of MIT, through four degrees um, in electrical engineering, in mechanical engineering, in design, uh, visual design, and then in biological engineering, the conclusion I came to, Michael, was uh, it was like a big aha moment I had because I said, you know what? Everyone's looking at the body. The Eastern systems of medicine were looking at the body with a different language, a different system of language. The Western system of medicine what I also realized with my studies is that the Western system of medicine fundamentally, Michael, came from wartime medicine. If you really look at it, it came during the middle of the Crimean War. 
uh, people like Florence Nightingale. She was not just a nurse, she was um, a statistician, a member of the Royal Society. She actually figured out, uh, uh, Florence Nightingale, that people were dying not because of being shot on the, uh, on the battlefield, but because when they came to the hospital. And that the goal was to create a healthcare system. And that really resulted in the modern healthcare system, you know, surgery and antibiotics and hygiene and cleaning up the hospitals. And that's what we have today. We have the modern healthcare system, but remember, it originated from wanting to put a soldier back on the field. Does that make sense, Michael? It does. That system. Can, can you uh, can you quick can you tell me why this Western system? Why they dismiss the traditional approach? Why they don't acknowledge it at all? Yeah. So Michael's asking, why does the Western system medicine not want to acknowledge as well? It really comes down to fundamentally money because the Eastern systems of medicine were fundamentally diametrically opposed to the Western. So the Western system of medicine, as I mentioned, is putting a soldier back on the field. Well, so in the Eastern systems of medicine, Michael, particularly in Siddha or Ayurveda, every disease had an etiology, which means it went through six different phases, okay? Six different phases. And the idea was if you caught it in the early stage, prevention, you could solve it. Western system medicine typically catches it in the fifth and sixth stage when it's erupted to something that's in a crisis stage. Does that make sense? So, yeah. and when it gets to a crisis stage, then you hammer it like you're going and fighting something, chemotherapy, right? Surgery, interventions. That's what we do in wartime medicine. And that is highly expensive. It requires a methodology um, of, uh, of, of, in many ways, you want people to get to that stage, right? Because that's where the money-making occurs. It occurs in the latter stages of crisis. But foundationally, it's based on crisis, crisis, crisis. Eastern systems of medicine are based on prevention, which means you try to capture things in the early stages. Hey, I see something, uh, you're not, you know, you look a little tired, you know, let's do that. Hey, I notice that your skin is a little bit dry. You following me? Hey, I notice yeah. your eyes are, you know, you, it looks like you have redness in your eyes. Hey, I noticed that your breath is smelling a little bit differently, okay? So in the traditional healing systems of medicine, you caught people way ahead. You uh, were incentivized because that's those systems of medicine, by the way, being a doctor, what was called a vaidyar, V-A-Y-D-Y-A-R, was someone who fought death. Uh, being a doctor and being a warrior, being a healer were one and the same and it was considered to be a noble service. In fact, you weren't supposed to charge for it, Wing. When my grandmother never charged for anything, when my uncle, who actually became a surgeon, he came to her for blessings back to the village, and she asked him something very interesting. She said, look, if someone ever comes to you and they have no money, will you take care of them or will you shoo them away? And he said, only if you promise me that you will treat them kindly and serve them um, then only will I bless you. And that's what my uncle did, you know, to get my grandmother's blessings. So the point was foundationally, spiritually, emotionally, mentally, those traditional systems of medicine were to frankly assist people was seen as a noble service. The modern system of medicine waits for people to get into crisis and it is using, you know, sort of a bazooka, everything's a nail and everything's a hammer, okay? Um, yeah. Right, so that's that system of medicine and, and it fundamentally comes out of wartime medicine. Now I'm not saying it's bad, but what it is is if you, let's say you happen to get into some horrible accident, right? If you happen to get into some uh, crisis situation, right? 
Of course yeah. it's valuable. But is that how we should be running our lives day to day? I don't think so. So that is what I figured out around 2007 when I really started studying this. And I went back to India after I finished my PhD. And I said, look, now no one can attack me. No one can say I'm some woo-woo person. I got three degrees from MIT in engineering. My PhD is in biological engineering, my fourth degree. And if you go to the front page of MIT, there was a very interesting article uh, because I won a Fulbright, a very prestigious scholarship to go back to India to study traditional systems of medicine. And the front page of the MIT newspaper um, listed um, a man with four degrees goes east meets west. That's what the article said, Michael, east meets right. west. And right. they couldn't understand why I wanted to go back to India. Why, you know, hey, why do you want to waste two years of your life? You could go work with a big pharmaceutical company now, right? Yeah. So, 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 so taking this, this philosophical approach to medicine that your grandmother practiced, you went back to India. So tell me how you, you reconciled this in terms of systems and engineering. Yeah, so great. So Michael's asking, I went back to India in 2008 on a Fulbright, and how did I reconcile it? And in fact, I was, um, uh, when I went back, I, I was working with the National Institute of Epidemiology in India, and I was really interested in discovering what these two systems of medicine were, right? Why did my grandmother, why was she able to do that? And so I traveled all over India, um, and one day, literally, it was an, you know, when you, it's, it's interesting, Michael, I was studying the Siddha system of medicine, went to various different places um, to study with different people, and then I had a big aha moment. And the aha moment I had was I said, you know what? That these traditional folks, which they call rishis or gurus, etc., um, they were looking at the body and I came to the conclusion they weren't looking at it at what I'd learned in my PhD as, as you know, using words like genes, right, or proteins, right, or genetics. They had a different language. And if you looked at the Eastern system medicine, like, you know, in Chinese medicine, it's a five element theory. They have a yin and yang. So they have fire, earth, metal, water, and wood. And these are the positive feedback cycle and they have the negative feedback cycle. In the Indian system, they have space, air, fire, or, um, water, and earth, different elements. In the Indian system, they also have a way that you look at the body, you characterize it uh, by three um, phenomena called tridoshas, T-R-I-D-O-S-H-A-S, uh, Michael. And so when my grandmother looked at your body, she'd say, oh, you are a vatha, V-A-T-A. Oh, you are a pitta, P-I-T-T-A or you are a kapha, K-A-P-H-A. Okay, now these may sound like really weird terms to the Western MD, and you'll say, well, that's bogus. These people are just some indigenous people. They don't know what they're talking about, right? Well, yeah. well, sometimes they mix the terms, vata and pitta. So you could, but basically the motion was, you were being categorized as a particular body type, what they call the constitution. And based on that categorization, someone just wrote, I'm a pitta. Based on that categorization, um, that defined you. And then the phenomenon was once you were defined, they also figured out how you, your body was disturbed in a disturbed imbalanced state. And what that meant was here was you and how were you disturbed? And that could have occurred with diet, you know, you had different issues, you had stress in your life, you were socially isolated, like quarantined, okay? Um, and you were disturbed. And the goal was to bring your disturbed state back to you. So they called the you your prakriti, 
and the disturbed state you have vikriti, okay? And in Chinese medicine, they had a similar concept, right? Um, the, you, you know, you're, you, you use pulse diagnosis, by the way, which they also use in Siddha, and then they notice imbalance and the idea was bringing you into balance. Well, so the aha moment I had is, wait, wait a minute, I said they're using all these words, vata, pitta, kapha, sankalpa was a goal your guru would give you, or indriyas were your senses, or manas were your mind, um, and, and disturbances are known as vikaras. So there were probably about, uh, if you, and then karma, which you may have heard of, right? And karma fall. Yeah. So if you look yeah. at it, there's around nine terms that were constantly being used in the yoga system and in the siddha system. And I said, you know what? I said, they must have been looking at the body if I believed as a system. And then I went back to what I learned in engineering school, Michael. In engineering school, when you learn how to uh, build a control system, like for an airplane to control it, like an automatic control system, or for a thermostat, right, to maintain a temperature, or you study yeah. biological engineering, homeostasis takes place. Well, in those worlds, there are what's called general systems theory, and they use the terms called transport, conversion, and storage. And the aha moment I had, I said, wow, transport, conversion, and storage match one-to-one -one with vata, pitta, and kapha. Okay? Storage breaks down into two subsystems in the, in, the, in the elemental world, what they called the five element theory, earth, right, and water, which we also have in the Chinese system. The pitta, which meant conversion, you know, the forces of conversion uh, uh, related to fire, right? Fire is a transformative element, same in the Chinese system. And then you had something called, called in the Indian system, vata, which meant really the things that were space and air, fast-moving things. Um, water, right, was a fast-moving thing in, in the Chinese system, but in the Indian system it was air and ether, space and ether. So what I realized was vata, pitta, and kapha were the same terms related to transport, conversion, and storage. And then I realized the other terms, what we call in control system theory, goal, or the controller, uh, match one-to-one -one with the sankalpa terminology, and manas, and the sensors, were like indriyas and the disturbances were vikaras. Bottom line is what I discovered, Michael, was something quite profound. It was really the Rosetta Stone that bridged Eastern medicine, not with Western medicine, okay, but with Western engineering systems theory. So when I got back, uh, so I felt I'd made a big contribution. When I got back, I obviously that was the base of my Fulbright um, uh, presentation that I did. When I got back to MIT, I went to the head of the department, a guy called Doug Laufenberger, and Doug's, I believe his sister was a yoga teacher, so I was lucky, he had some sympathy. And I said, Doug, look, I want to offer a course. He goes, okay. I go, look, I think I really made something I could give a course. He goes, well, he goes, I got to prove that there's value. And we agreed that I would do it as a lecture series, okay? Uh, which means yeah. I would have to prove that people would show up. And if people did, he said, we will vote as a committee, and then we will decide if this is going to be a course. So anyway, Michael, what ended up happening was, this was uh, in 2010, two years after I got back from India, and I did it as a lecture series in the fall on, on a weeknight, you know, on Thursday from 7 to 10. Guess how many people would show up? How Seven, many? 300 people, 200 to 300 people showed up, and I called it Systems Biology and Traditional Medicine. That was the title of the course, and I was preparing 13 lectures. Well, what was interesting was, you know who would show up? If you looked out in the auditorium audience, 
one side of the people were all your hardcore MDs, hardcore engineers, right? And they looked very different. They would come with their lab coats out of Harvard Medical School or Mass General. And the other side of the room was your woo-woo people, okay? Um, your people with tie-dye t-shirts and dress differently, uh, yoga people, acupuncturists, chiropractors, right? Naturopathic doctors, Chinese medical people. And they would literally sit, it was fascinating to watch on two different sides of the room. And then what I was able to do in a period of the first you know, two, uh, one to two hours was I was able to show, I didn't start with talking about Indian medicine, I didn't start with talking about Western medicine, I said let's talk about control systems theory, okay? And that's really for everyone listening in this book called Your Body, Your System and System and Revolution, where I said look, forget all the words you know, I'm gonna take back to you something very different. Imagine that the universe is governed by three principles, transport of information, matter, and energy, conversion, right? Of in, like your digestion process, like the CPU in your computer, like a, 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 a diesel engine does. And then I said, there's a third aspect called storage or structure, the elements that create structure in your life, right? Or store things, transport, conversion, and storage. So I started there, then I would teach people control systems thinking, how a simple thermostat in a house worked, that it has a goal, a temperature it has to receive, receive, achieve sensors, a controller which decides how much flow of hot water should go in, and disturbances. So within about two hours, um, uh, Michael, I was able to teach, and by the way, anyone listening here, that's really the foundation of the Your Body, Your System, or System Health Course, uh, System and Revolution. I was able to teach these two diverse sets of people, none of them, frankly, most of them didn't have training in this, but this was basically taking, you know, probably, you know, four years of hardcore engineering systems theory and teaching it in two hours, Michael. And I figured out a way right. to teach them that. Then I taught them Chinese medicine in the next lecture. And then I taught them Indian medicine. And then in the third or fourth lecture, I would show them, look, the language that they're using may sound weird to you, but look, it matches one-to-one -one with engineering systems theory. And that's when everyone said, Jesus Christ, what Shiva's saying makes so much sense, okay? And that so, was... So, you, you, you did these, lecture, these lectures, but how about the mainstream medical establishment? Are they on board with this, and are they well, well, evolving in that direction now? Yeah, so it's a great question. Michael's question is the mainstream. So, remember, I didn't try to convince people of believe in what my grandmother said. I said, look, these are fundamental principles. So they're undeniable. It doesn't matter whether you're a medical doctor or engineer or even someone who believes in them. I was also able, Michael, to help, before I get to your question, also able to help the people who are the chiropractors and the acupuncturists who felt misunderstood. This was now a language set that they could even explain to their medical doctors. You follow? But yeah. fundamentally, this was based in engineering systems theory. There's no there's no, no, nothing to argue, right? Everything in the modern civilization we have, from the computer, from the microphone, from the thermostat, all uses these terminologies. It just so happened that I was showing the connection and what I was really telling them was the Eastern systems of medicine were not a system of medicine, Michael. This is quite a different approach, that they were actually an engineering systems way to look at the body. So this was a profoundly different way of looking at the body. The lecture series, by the way, at MIT, highly successful 300 people and then it went to the board of MIT to vote if I could convert it to a course I lost by three to two because a pharma people you know which a lot of these professors are funded by said oh my god if, if this traditional medicines course 
uh, would this affect our funding? That's what really happened, okay? okay. Uh, uh, so I ended up creating my own course program called Systems Health. And by the way, those people, so if, if Michael, you may, if you wanna get some screenshots of it, if you go to systems, S-Y-S-T-E-M-S, health.com, and if you go there, I'm gonna uh, sort of open a, a new tab here. If people go to systemshealth.com, um, you will see that I ended up creating an, my own little institute because this course, uh, by the way, I taught that at MIT for three years as a lecture series, and it became the basis of a course. I created an institute called Systems Health. I started doing relationships with the universities who wanted to offer it, from Harvard Medical School, I did it as a CME course um, uh, down at the Chopra Center, and then I created an educational program where I could teach anyone. I used to charge like, I think three, $4,000 for this, right? But I couldn't do it on my own. I made it an online course. We used to charge, it's still up there for 250 bucks. And then, then I started creating a university model. Instead of getting professors, Michael, I could actually train others. And I gave them all the tools so they could train people. And then I also created a laboratory tool set called Your Body, Your System and a portal where people could then use the tool to educate others how their body is a system. So if you go to yourbodyyoursystem.com, that was a tool where you could teach people, look, you don't have to fly all the way to India to see Shiva's grandmother, okay? I will ask you a set of questions, which I, by the way, that help in the same way to identify the forces of transport, conversion and storage in your body, and that can help you identify you, which is called your natural system state. You ask a different set of questions, Michael, and that really helped you find your disturbance. No different than you know when your airplane is off course or your thermostat's off course. So there's a red dot in this little triangle that was you and a black dot, which was when you're deviated. I had to make it simple for people, Michael, and this was probably some of the art of this. And then how the inputs of food and supplements and yoga postures, we in fact categorized particular yoga postures, how they could bring you back to you, okay? And this is fundamentally, in a fundamental way, Michael, this is how engineering systems works, right? Your body's yeah. off course, your airplane is off course, you give different inputs and you bring it back on course. It's frankly that simple. So what I have created, I believe, the system itself is a parallel methodology to the modern medical system and it can be something we can teach people and it bridges East and West science and tradition, ancient and modern. That's been really the journey. So taking a look at the, the mainstream medical establishment, where it is today, how far are they away from that? I mean, you said that they're practicing an old type of medicine that's really out of date. How far are they from where you think we should be today? Well, look, the medical doctor, okay, most of the medical doctors uh, let me separate the MDs who do like, you know, like, uh, you know, are in these different specialties. By the way, I want to draw a distinction between them and surgeons, okay? Anesthesiologists. I consider those people like plumbers and electricians who actually practice engineering. Uh, you know, many years ago I dated a woman who was an anesthesiologist and the way she described how she had to sit in that operating room and fine tune the delivery of anesthesia. So she brought people down to almost a comatose taste and had to bring them back. It was almost like people flying an airplane. And a number of people I find who are anesthesiologists actually like flying, flying, okay? But that's an engineering aspect. The other people I'm talking about, the people who are specialists who don't do surgery, but they really look at a person, they diagnose, 
and they have to give some drug or some medical intervention, right? So they're more like, if this, then this. Among those people, there's a growing movement of those people who recognize that they sort of got screwed in their medical education, Michael. That yeah. they recognize that they, it was really big pharma medicine or big hospital medicine. Find this, bring the person to the hospital. Find this, give them this drug. And a number of those very well-meaning people, by the way, a thousand of them signed our, our, my tweet that said fire Fauci, nearly 50,000, 60,000 people now signed that, um, that um, petition, which has gone viral all over the world. Uh, 1,000 of those people are MDs. So if you use that, maybe 5%, okay, 1,000 to 2,000. So there's a growing movement of MDs who realize that they got screwed and they're actually looking for knowledge. So some of them are going into integrative medicine, right? Some of them are starting to use vitamins. But what this offers the entire world is a engineering systems approach to understanding the body. The really cool thing, Michael, the way I built it, Systems Health, it's a decentralized online university that I can train anyone. And that's where health is supposed to be. It's supposed to be decentralized. It's not supposed to be this complicated. The medical establishment wants to make it complicated. They want to do big medicine. They want to do big pharma. They want to do big vaccines. And what we've done here is really sort of destroyed their paradigm. And it's really going back to the village healer, right? It's going back to you having a relationship with your body, with your practitioner, and figuring out what's right for you. Look, the body is a very complex system. To denote that one size fits all is frankly anti-human in my view. It's anti-systems. You know, you don't do that to your car, right? You, we treat our car in a much more of a systems way than we do our body. So would you say that this, as you, as you call it, a reductionist approach, would you say that this is outdated? Yes. Um, yes. Well, the reductionist approach serves reductionism, okay? Let me explain what I mean by that. Uh, you know, the other, one of the other, so what I've just shared with you is my integrating East and West through, through, Cytosol, uh, through System Cell. For my PhD work, I did a completely different invention that came out of my PhD work called Cyto, C-Y-T-O, S-O-L-V-E, and I'll bring that up for, if you go to C-Y-T-O, S-O-L-V-E, um, Michael, if you want to look at that. Cytosolve was, if email was the uh, uh, inner office mail system, an electronic version, right? If you remember, when I invented email, it's not the simple reductionist model of text messaging. This is why people get this wrong. I created the whole system, inbox, outbox, folders, blind carbon copy, all integrated, named it email, and got the first US copyright. Cytosolve is really a way of integrating the entire human cellular molecular reactions, which people thought was impossible. So I created a whole technology, Michael, which allows us to integrate at the molecular systems level. In there, what we're doing is to your point on reductionism, if someone studies cancer, you know, they're studying a little piece of something vast, right? How two proteins interact, how this particular chemical reaction takes place. Well, what Cytosol does is say, fine, you biologists who are getting NIH funding, go be reductionist. Because what is reductionism? In this case, they're trying to figure out one little aspect of nature. So we take that little part, and with Cytosol, we're able to integrate all those little biological discoveries, Michael, to get a holistic systems level understanding of the biological phenomenon. So reductionism is interesting. On the one hand, with biology, we, are, we practice reductionism to understand the parts. 
but that's more like we're, we're, we're finding pieces of knowledge. And what I'm doing with Cytosol is connecting the parts. But reductionism overall can be used to manipulate people. In many ways, reductionism is a foundation of fake science. Because if you look at something like cancer and the immense interactions that take place, you could easily use reductionism as a way to say, oh, this thing causes cancer. You follow what I'm saying? This little thing yeah. here or this little piece here. So let's spend billions over here. Let's spend billions over here. Versus when you take a systems level approach, you find out, wait a minute, you know what cancer or the immune system is really caused by? Inflammation. And what, when, how is inflammation caused? Well, inflammation is caused when you have dysfunctions in either you have autoimmune issues, your nutrition is deficient, your microbiome is off. You start taking a systems level approach and you go to the heart of the problem. So in my view, the reason I think the videos I've done, the reason I think you got interested in talking to me, you know, I've been doing this for 40 years. When the coronavirus came, I proposed a systems level way of looking at this, right? I said, let's talk about the immune system. Let's talk about immune health. Because when you look at the immune system, what you find is, is it's an overactive. It's an overactive immune system which has been weakened, which attacks itself. You got what I'm saying? That, so a systems approach reveals that. A non-systems approach, a reductionist approach says, oh, this little germ comes and eats you away. That's what causes disease. And then you bamboozle even the MDs on that bogus theory. So reductionism is a way to basically uh, mistreat people and create fake science. So can, can you elaborate a little, little bit about your strategy for strengthening the immune system, particularly with dealing with COVID-19? Sure. Um, uh, so, you know, a lot of the work that I do today on Cytosol, right, which is my company that came out of my research at MIT, Cytosol really allows us to create uh, large-scale systems understanding of the immune system, osteoarthritis, and that's what I'm doing. It's very exciting. And using that system-level understanding, we can start understanding how combinations of nutrients help. So when you look at COVID-19 um, and you step back, what you find with a, with, you know, with, with a capability like Cytosol, which helps us really understand large-scale molecular systems, you find out that the goal is to really support the immune system, Michael. The goal right. is support the immune system at varying levels. The immune system has the innate immune system composed of macrophages and neutrophils, which is in our, in, you know, in our skin and our mucous membranes. We also have the interferon system, which is composed of all different kinds of cytokines. We have the adaptive immune system, which is composed of T cells and B cells, which create antibodies. We also have our gut microbiome, um, you know, and microbiome throughout our mouth everywhere, which includes about 60 trillion different microbes, 380 trillion uh, viruses. And then we have the connection of that to our, um, uh, of our, uh, our brain, our neural system. So when you start putting this together, you say, wow, what we, in order to fuel our immune system, to really support it, one of the, you start with the microbiome. In many traditional cultures, you'll know that the number one reason people live long, or even today, the number one reason, Michael, was because of deep social connections, deep fellowship, deep community. Some people smoked, they were overweight, but they lived to 100 years. Why? Because those social connections affect all of these subsystems. They boost antiviral activity when you have friendship, when you feel safe. You lower inflammatory response. And this has been shown over and over again in multiple 
you know, Western science landmark studies. In fact, social isolation results in detriment that's worse than high blood pressure, worse than smoking, worse than obesity. So let's start with that. That's one thing, Michael. Let's start people having friends and joy and family. That's why it's so ridiculous, this social distancing, not allowing people to gather, okay? Especially those people who are healthy, because now you're taking healthy people and you're isolating them. Second is the right nutrients. Uh, the sec By the way, the second reason people, or the second or third reason people lived long, second was exercise, you know, vigorous movement of the body, being out in the sun. Why is that important? You get vitamin D, right? Vitamin D is an antimicrobial. It's a hormone. It's phenomenal for your body. So vitamin D, that's why I wrote, when I wrote to the president in the letter, I said, let's get people back to health. Let's support immune health. Let's give those people, I said, let's partition the population into four groups. Those people who are truly immunocompromised, high dose vitamin D, high dose, and I'll get to it, vitamin A. Those people who are normal and healthy, give them low, lower dose of vitamin D and A and some iodine and support their systems with some vitamin C. Those people are critically ill, critically ill. 80, 90% of them are gonna die when they put them on ventilators because they're basically blowing up their lungs. They're suffocating them because the lungs are already under, as I call the cytokine storm, right? Your body attacking itself. And then you put high pressure into these lungs that are being filled up, filled up and you're basically, basically blowing people up, okay? Uh, so there, what I have suggested is the right way that you support people is let's focus on antimicrobial activity, right? The vitamin D, support the outer layers of the cell so the microbes can't even get in. The goal is to stop viral replication. That's really the goal, the viral load. So think about a bunch of enemy affecting you. Well, if one enemy is hanging out, no big deal. But if millions or thousands are affecting your body, that's called a viral load. So you want to bring that down. And that's with vitamin D, vitamin A. Vitamin C is extraordinary, particularly in high doses for critical care people, to really lowering it, reducing the cytokine storm, you know, supporting antioxidant, anti-inflammatory activity. So these are very basic things. I mean, we could get more uh, involved. You can bring oregano oil. You can bring all these. I mean, in, in, in many traditional cultures, we have curry powder. In Chinese culture, they use many, many different herbs. Those are all supportive, but the two key things are the deep grief, leany, uh, grief, sorry, dark vegetables and fruits. Those really support the formation of vitamin A, the sun, vitamin D, and then things like vitamin C really help in critical care. But all of these things, Michael, when you take a systems approach, you're supporting many, many different subsystems. The last thing I want to let you know is the third reason people live really long, guess what it was? They all drank some type of local fermented drink, okay? Some rice wine, some wine. Uh, in the Indian culture, we used to let old rice water we drink it the next day. It supports the gut bacteria, the microbiome. So that's pretty, I mean, we can start there, but the goal, the essential goal is when you take a systems approach, you realize that the fundamental purpose is to really support the immune system. You support the immune system, you go back to homeostasis, and your body takes care of itself. Right. Can you can you explain a little bit more detail about what the, the different vitamins do for your immune health? For example, vitamin A, vitamin D, vitamin C. Sure. Let's take vitamin A, D, and C, um, and let's talk about those. First of all, vitamin D. You know, when you're out in the sun, you get the UVB radiation. When it hits your skin, your body creates vitamin D. Um, 
Now, one thing we need to understand is dark people need more sun. It's gonna sound counterintuitive, right? They actually need more sun because they have the melanin which the sun's rays can't get through. So if you isolate people, uh, they have a less chance of getting sun. That's why when the, even the Spanish flu pandemic, there was a doctor who everyone vilified. He took patients outside, Michael, and he said, let them get fresh air, let them get the sun. And most of those people healed much, much faster. So imagine being in a hospital with all the circulated air, right? You're not getting any of that very powerful vitamin D. So particularly vitamin D3, which is called cocaliciferol, that's very powerful, why? Because your body takes that D3, it's fuel, and it converts that D3 to a molecule called catholicidins, okay? These catholicidins, think of, think of them like arrows or bullets that literally blow up the protein membrane or the, the surface membrane of bacteria, they blow up the, bacteria, the, the membrane of viruses, uh, protozoa, etc. They literally blow up the membranes. So this is why vitamin D, in addition to many other things it does, it's an antimicrobial. Does that make sense, Michael? That's for number yeah. one. So denying people sun, keeping people indoors is not a good thing. The second thing is vitamin A. Vitamin A literally builds cytokeratin. So think about you're, you have a cell, you know, and what does a virus try to do, Michael? It tries to get into that cell surface integrate with that cell and then become a part of that cell and take over the, vi uh, the, the machinery of that cell to replicate itself, got it? Well, yeah. one way is you can put a jacket, right? Or you can put armor around that cell. That's called the cytokeratin structures, okay? And those structures, yeah. li literally like skin around your cells, you can build that around the cytoskeleton and that is brought to you by vitamin A. And vitamin A also modulates some many, many powerful, important immune processes. Where it, and vitamin A literally builds those cytokeratins, okay? Now vitamin A, you can get it from the dark, rich, uh, uh, leafy vegetables. You, one good source is vitamin A palmitate, P-A-L-M-I-T-A-T-E. It's one of the best, uh, more bioavailable sources. Obviously, my biggest thing is always try to get it from food. And when you can't, take it from the vitamin A, palmitate. Also, if you eat the vegetables, you know, your thyroid's gotta be working well. Uh, to convert it to vitamin A. Some people's are not, they may want to get like a TH, uh, TH, uh, uh, THS check, right? Or they can also recognize iodine and iodide, which is what I wrote to the president, are two very powerful things, which also support your body's formation of uh, vitamin A, which leads to cytokeratin. And the third is vitamin C. Look, vitamin C, first of all, it's a powerful antioxidant. Powerful antioxidant. Uh, scurvy, remember that? Scurvy for, unfortunately, the medical establishment as it's still doing today. They always try to blame a virus or a bug for everything, okay? It's like trying to uh, prosecute some guy who didn't do the crime. Um, so when it came to vitamin, uh, when it came to scurvy, you know, soldiers would, uh, sailors would get scurvy and their teeth would fall out, they'd bleed. They said, oh, this must be a microbe. This must be because they're all hanging out together. Well, it turned out scurvy um, came uh, was a result of lack of vitamin C and that was proved once we isolated vitamin C. Even though people on the ground, um, some of the uh, ship's captain realized this and they gave people lime. That's why sailors were called limeys, uh, Michael. So, uh, so vitamin C helps in many ways. It stops viral replication. It stops the inflammatory response. It's an antioxidant and it really modulates the immune system. Okay. I hope that helps understand that.
It does. So my last question, um, with a segue to um, Big Pharma and the medical establishment, um, have they been benefiting from COVID-19 and what role does the Chinese Communist Party play in that? Right, so the question to everyone asking that Michael just asked, by the way, I'm talking to um, Michael Wing, he's from the Epoch Times, a great, great publication. They actually tend, uh, tend to give a much more holistic view of what's going on versus the mainstream media, which likes to only take a very reductionist approach. Michael, you can look at news as reductionism too. Um, but when you look at uh, Big Pharma and the Chinese Communist Party, what you want to understand is broadly and philosophically, the goal in health, which really is a question to understand, does this come bottoms up, right? Does it come from someone knowing someone like my grandmother or a practitioner, be it an MD who cares for you and really wants to do the right thing or an acupuncturist or a chiropractor or a dietitian or a nutritionist, or does health come top down, mandated from top down? The entire model of uh, the quote unquote uh, communism of the Chinese Communist Party, and the reason I put quotes on our Marxism, is that their central model is that the state is supreme. And ironically, what's interesting, Michael, is if you actually go read the works of Marx, uh, Marx wanted to destroy the state, right? You wanted to destroy the state and devolve power to small workers collectives. And what the Chinese Communist Party did was actually revise. In fact, Engels said the worst people uh, in his view were Marxists, okay? Uh, Marxists actually are about creating a top-heavy state. And that is what Chinese, the Chinese Communist Party is fundamentally state capitalism, if you want to be right, the worst form of capitalism. And Big Pharma model fits beautifully into this because Big Pharma, by the way, China is one of the leading producers of vaccines, one of the leading producers of many, many of the components that go into many, many pharmaceutical products. And for that matter, many of the leading components of many of the instrumentation that goes into major hospitals in the United States. So you have a centralized model that's what Big Pharma wants. Big Pharma does not want you choosing vitamins over vaccines. They don't want you uh, choosing vitamins over ventilators, right? They want you choosing their uh, models, which is top-down medicine, which is a guy, bunch of guys who go to medical school and they, whatever, make them work like crazy hours. They come out, frankly, very unhealthy. And them telling you, because they make them egomaniacs, them telling you what is health. It's a top-down form of medicine. China, top-down form of medicine. The CDC, top-down. WHO, top-down. Anthony Fauci, Emperor Fauci, top-down. Bill Gates, Hillary Clinton, Mark Zuckerberg, all these people have a top-down model of what they think is, they're the ones who know what's right. And by the way, Bill Gates has no degree in biology, right? He didn't invent DOS. He bought it from someone else and flipped it because he came from a nice, family where his parents were lawyers and uh, on the boards of uh, certain institutions where they essentially, he was born with a silver spoon and he was able to push himself forward with that. But he could be a drop out of Harvard and make it look cheeky. But the bottom line is it's a top-down form, um, Michael, no different than state capitalism or the imperial Marxist view um, of how the Chinese government operates. So they are very, very aligned uh, spiritually, quote unquote spiritually and philosophically to basically impose their will on people. And we're seeing it with COVID-19 
What this is really about is fear-mongering, fake science, big pharma to really impose a surveillance state. And as we know in China, that's already been done. 200 million cameras, social credit score, you can read people's lips, and you can control movement of people to make the world one big factory. One big factory with a few elites running it. And this moment in history with this COVID-19 fear-mongering hoax, that's what it is, it's a fear-mongering hoax, is to manipulate and crash economies, is to result in mandated vaccines, and at the same time, destroy dissension. I think you may know, Michael, in Wuhan itself, six months before this, there were massive anti-pollution protests. The people in China also are willing to risk their lives and stand up for their lives. I mean, uh, um, and Hong Kong, there were protests. All those have been gone, wiped out. Right. Well, thank you very much for your time. Uh, we greatly appreciate it and your patriotism. And I hope we can do it again sometime. Yeah, thank Michael. Very much appreciate it. Yeah, thank yeah. you. Make sure everyone knows that you know I am running for United States Senate. My core right. uh, fundamental focus of our campaign is truth, freedom, and health. Without freedom, you can't practice real science and get to truth. You get fake science, and with fake science, you create fake problems and fake solutions. You get unhealthy people who are not strong enough to fight for their freedom. And that, in fact, you dumb down people. You scare them. And that's why it's very, very important um, if you can let your readership know the, the fundamental reason I'm running for U.S. Senate is not about just winning a Senate seat. It's about really creating a new movement in the world. Um, and Massachusetts, by the way, if you really study Massachusetts, really the center of the deep state. The entire you know, a world hierarchy at some point or another, Michael, has gone through Boston, right? And you can probably trace every economic collapse to some professor at Harvard who got a Nobel Prize, all right? So this is the center of command and control of people who think they know better than everyone. So on our website, if people go, you'll see it's about truth, freedom, and health. In fact, Michael, when people donate to us, I really want to support the, 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 for truth, freedom, and health where people can get this really cool book uh, which is called System and Revolution. I, I teach them everything I've just shared here. Um, they get access to the tool, your body, your system. And one of the things I've done, Michael, is you know we used to charge like, I mean, it was a ridiculous number anyway, 25 bucks. But people are in such economic distress. We've told people whatever they can give, uh, give it uh, to us and we'll do it. And, and people overseas can go right to your body, your system and get it. Um, but it's a, it's, a, it's a very important point we are in history, and I think the world needs more people who actually solve problems. It needs everyday working people. It needs people who believe in decentralization of power, not the Chinese model. In my view, what I fear is, is America going to become a colony of China? That's what I really fear. And what I mean by that is a worldview that a few know better than you know, everyone else, that you deny intelligence, you deny creativity of the, of the broad mass of people. Right. I agree with that. All right. Well, thank you very much. We appreciate you. your time. Okay, be well. Thank you anyway. Uh, be well, Michael. I'm Take gonna, care. I'm going to end Bye -bye. this. Thank you. Um, uh, thank you, everyone. That was Michael Wing from the Epoch Times. As many people know, what I'm trying to do as best as I can is to share with people what's going on um, with our campaign 
and a lot of the interesting interviews that we're doing with a number of people. So you've heard an interview I had with Poland this earlier this morning, one with Africa, and this is Michael Wing from Canada. Anyway, um, anyway, support the campaign. We need to win. And again, uh, in closing, um, because I'm doing this sort of almost like a telethon, a marathon today. If people go to the website, please, you know, support the campaign in any way you can. But please tell all your friends that I'm running for United States Senate. We need to get on the ballot. I need to get another seven to eight thousand signatures to get on the ballot. That's what I need because we were going out, our volunteers collecting signatures by hand at the grocery stores. They don't even let us go there. The two establishment parties, the Republicans and Democratic Party establishment, they have no volunteers. We were explosively growing, so they're handcuffing us. I'm running against three lawyers, and what we've done is because I know how to build technology into our website, I build a capability. If you go to the website, tell your people in Massachusetts, if, you, if you're in Massachusetts or you know people in Massachusetts, Tell them to go to our website, right on the top right here, let me go over here, and right when you go right below, it says right here, your signature will get Dr. Shiva on the ballot, click here. When they click here, people can literally fill out a form, first name, last name, email, etc., and they, can literally, they would literally get mailed to them all the forms, all the print, in postal mail, we ship it to them, our volunteers are working to send it to them, and they will get all the forms, all the stamped envelopes, they just sign, they put it in a stamped envelope and they send it to their local town halls and we get our signatures. That's what we need. We need everyone supporting our campaign by either, you can donate, in which case you're actually gonna learn <laughs> systems thinking, you're gonna learn to, how your body works as a system, but we need people to tell your friends in Massachusetts, text them this URL. If you go right here, you can see it. It's shivaforsenate.com. Let me share this with you here. If you go here at shivaforsenate.com, and I'll share it right here, as you can see it, forward slash get Dr. Shiva on the ballot. But if you just go there, you can get it and forward it to people. Anyway, this has been a very valuable uh, opportunity for me to once again share with you. Today's talk was really my journey across East and West, science and tradition, ancient and modern to really create a systems approach to understanding the body. And that's what we need now so we don't get fear-mongered and we don't get hoaxed and taken advantage of. So anyway, I wish you all well. I'm gonna go get something to eat, eat a nice nutritious meal, and hopefully I'll see you guys again shortly. Be the light, be well, and um, I know Easter's coming soon. I wish everyone a happy Easter. Thank you.